computer's doing this weird thing now where I've only had it for like a year, a mm. year and a half, and battery's completely shot. Like, even if I turn it on, mm. I immediately plug the charger in, it'll be at like, I don't know, 60 some percent, and it'll go right to battery critically low, and then immediately shut off. Oh, geez, that's not good. Yeah. I, I should have just bought a desktop, you know? Like, yeah. How how often am I needing to take my laptop places? Nowhere. I have a phone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless you bring it to work. I really don't. You know, yeah. I did for a little bit, but that's only whenever I was using my tablet. I don't even use my tablet anymore. Yeah. It's crazy how quickly stuff... I was just looking the other day at this. I mean, and it's like second generation or something, but this iPad mini that's on my nightstand, I'm like, that was like $700 or something. And now it's just like mm-hmm. garbage that yeah. I'm not going to throw now it's, out. <laughs> now it's a paperweight. Yeah, my, my tablet, like my tablet is sitting in my, my like a cube organizer next to me for the longest time i was taking it to work every day i was using it every day yeah but i was using it for like keeping all of my copy points in dropbox and then i realized like one day that it died i'm like why am i not just using the computer in front of me for for all of my copy points yeah (laughs) and i just started doing that and i'm like oh i guess i don't need this tablet anymore yeah ah there we go uh should we get going yeah, yeah, let's keep going. All right, welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. It's a show about one thing, watching Curb Your Enthusiasm for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about Season 5, Episode 4, Kamikaze Bingo. But before that, what's the deal with stuff from our last episode, The Christ Nail? First, Larry wants to make sure that his house handyman hangs up his mezuzah on the front door before his dad comes to visit. And Ted nor I knew what the mezuzah was, and so here is a little background on it. A mezuzah is a piece of parchment, so it's paper, inscribed with specific Hebrew verses from the Torah, which Jews affix to the doorposts of their homes. The verses are the biblical passages in which the prayer of a mezuzah is commanded. So it's kind of, it's very meta. It's like, why do we have to hang this thing up? Oh, because you have to have this piece of paper that um, talks about why you have to hang it up. But why? Because it says to just do it. And so we put the verse that says to do it in the thing and then you hang it up like what? (laughs) But if what? Okay. Um, They also form part of the Shema prayer. uh, These verses do, which serve as a centerpiece of the morning and evening Jewish prayer services in the biblical verses where the mezuzah command is found. The purpose is educational to constantly remind a person of God's commandments. So it is a little Hmm. um, there's a little more to it than. Yeah, uh, okay. You know, my glib treatment of it. But in, in mainstream rabbinic Judaism, a mezuzah must generally be placed in every doorway in the home, with some exceptions such as bathrooms, which are not a living space, and small closets. But I think a lot of people just, uh, you know, think the front door covers all the other doors inside. And as I posited in the, in the podcast, in later generations, the mezuzah began to be interpreted as a apotropaic device protecting the house from the forces of evil. So that's what I kind of, I was like, I bet it's like you hang it up at the door and like, you know, evil spirits can't get in. So yeah, people did kind of yeah. start treating I mean, it that you, way. You pretty much had it. Yeah. Um, so it uh, the mezuzah is a parchment, by the way. It's not the case. It's called a cloth, the uh, the actual parchment, prepared by a qualified scribe written in black indelible ink with a special quill made from either a feather or a reed, which is now quite rare. Then it's rolled up and placed inside the case. So the most important part of the mezuzah is that piece of paper, not the case, but since the case is what you see, you might imagine that designing and producing mezuzah cases itself has been elevated into an art form over the ages. Uh, and get this, make sure when if you're buying a mezuzah, some of them will provide or offer for sale a copy of the text, a copy of the parchment that has been photocopied onto paper. This is not a kosher or valid mezuzah, Ooh. which must be handwritten by a qualified scribe. Yeah. Uh, we saw Larry David's dad do this whenever passing through the door. Many people touch a finger to the mezuzah, and then kiss their finger after touching it. And I believe Larry, I believe Nat did that as he came in to the doorway uh, and saw the mezuzah. Uh, one final mention here. Many observant Jews from all Jewish denominations have a qualified scribe check the mezuzah parchments for defects at least twice every seven years, which I thought was a weird mile, like twice every seven years. So you could get like to the end of seven years and go, oh, shit, it's the last week. I'll tell you, have them come on Monday and Friday, and that'll cover us for like twice. <laughs> like, why not just say once every three and a half years? No, twice yeah, every yeah. seven years. <laughs> I just love that math. 
you could put it off for seven years and then nail twice in the in the same week. Uh, so there we go. We learned a little bit more about the Jewish faith through Curb Your Enthusiasm, as we do quite often. Uh, on the other side of the religious spectrum, what is the deal with the pop culture phenomenon that was the Passion of the Christ and how it contributed to the fashion and merchandise of 2004? Uh, as we know, The Passion of the Christ is a 2004 American epic biblical drama film produced, directed, and co-written by Mel Gibson, starring Jim Caviezel as Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, so the film was controversial, as you might imagine, because it was like this ultra-violent portrayal of the last uh, hours of Jesus' life. Some critics called the film a religious, religious and holy experience. Others found it anti-Semitic and criticized the violence as extreme. It still managed to gross over $612 million worldwide and became the fifth highest grossing film of 2004 internationally at the end of its run. It is the highest grossing inflation unadjusted Christian film, and it is the highest grossing apparently independent film of all time, and it remains the highest grossing R-rated film in the domestic market. Oh my God. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. It got three nominations at the 77th Academy Awards, Best Makeup, Cinematography, and Original Score. It did not win any. Uh, it was released for home viewing August 31st, 2004. And they re-released it in the theaters because it was so violent. They were like, you know, and, and people were like, well, I, you know, I would love for my, you know, I would love to indoctrinate my child into, you know, with this movie. Uh, <laughs> and so the Passion Recut was released in theaters uh, in 2005 with five minutes of the most explicit violence deleted. But the MPAA still wouldn't give it a PG-13 rating. So they released it um, unrated. But it's kind of it's like uh, kind of an anomaly in, in unrated movies because it is less objectionable than the actual rated version, which is kind of weird. It's like the the unrated version is tamer than the rated version, which I find kind of interesting. The Passion of the Christ was heavily promoted by many church groups, both within their organizations and to the public. Uh, Mel Gibson did something very savvy, and he screened to like mega churches like Joel Osteen and Saddleback. And con so con and congregations, as we talked about, would show up en masse to theaters and even like set up tables to answer questions and share prayers and stuff like that. <laughs> but what about, uh, you know, the merchandising? So I, saw, I found this 2004 MSNBC article where they gathered some Christian leaders uh, and people to talk about the merchandising, which included like a hardcover book, lapel pins, witness cards, those nail necklaces. Uh, inscribed nail pendants. Uh, some of the products on sale, the Passion of the Christ t-shirt that said, his passion is for you. Uh, retail price, 15 bucks, which is kind of, that sounds like a soft drink slogan. <laughs> Our passion <laughs> is for you. <laughs> All right. I don't know. Did Christ need a tagline like that? <laughs> Christ, TM. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, try him today. Uh, the Passion <laughs> of the Christ book, the official companion to the film, still photographs, uh, some quite graphic. So the Passion of the Christ coffee table book, retail price $24.99. There were three albums. John Debney did the score. He also did, interestingly enough, he also did Bruce Almighty, which I find hilarious. <laughs> the same guy that did the Passion of the Christ did Bruce Almighty. <laughs> and Elf. So he covers, you know, Jesus, Bruce, and Santa, like our three deities. Hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. The Holy Trinity. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Those CDs retailed for 18 bucks. The other albums are uh, the Passion of the Christ songs, with original compositions by various artists and songs inspired by the Passion of the Christ, uh, with I guess more just just Christian rock just crammed onto a CD, which I, that was like an anomaly I feel like of the '90s as well. You'd buy a soundtrack and there'd be like six or seven songs that weren't in the movie, and it's because maybe that it just wasn't that kind of movie, and, and so and then it became songs from and inspired by Mission Impossible or whatever. You know, it's like <laughs> what? How is this? Okay, so this B-side from you know, six years ago was in, somehow inspired by a movie that wasn't out yet. Uh, thank you for that. The nail pendant that Larry David's father-in-law is wearing, shaped like a nail with a leather strap, uh, inscribed on the side Isaiah 53.4, which is he was pierced to save our lives, which by far received the most publicity and criticism regarding all of the merchandising, retailed for $12.99, that necklace. Uh, so in this article, uh, MSNBC's Deborah Norville posed the question to three of her guests on on her show saying, so Reverend Forrest Church of the All Souls, Un All Souls Unitarian Church said, I expect all those nail pendants will show up in the New York City club scene, along with all the other goth studded necklaces and iron rings and all that. I find it distasteful, personally. Uh, <laughs> Hell yeah. New, York, yeah. New York Post columnist Linda Stassi uh, said, 
she wouldn't be a bit surprised for the next few days the happy meal with the jesus action figure popped up uh <laughs> they missed a great merchandising opportunity to not make a fragrance out of it mel gibson's passion the fragrance that's just divine um and <laughs> an opportunity see. with uh neca seven inch figure it's jesus with real <laughs> bleeding hands is there a, there's got to be a um there's got to be a uh, what is what's the name of the the dogma Christ, buddy Christ? There's got to be a buddy Christ yeah. Funko Pop, but I wonder oh if there's like an actual God. Jesus like <laughs> Funko Pop. <laughs> um, Do I have to Google it now? This is a I'll, great... I'll, go, I'll Google it while you continue. All right, uh, this is a great quote. We shouldn't confuse this movie with a religious sacrament, and it's understandable that they would treat this the same way that other Hollywood productions are commercialized and treated. I don't think we should get too offended by it, <laughs> but neither should we think it's a different kind of movie, which is a great take on it. Like. This is not the Bible or whatever. People were treating it that way. What are you finding uh, for Jesus action figures? Yes, there is a Christ Funko Pop. <laughs> Who is it sponsored by? No one. The symbol has a cross. It is just... Oh my gosh. Just, it, it's not Buddy Christ. It's not Jesus from Mad TV or, or SNL. No, it's just God. It's just Jesus. It has like, to. That's it. Is it? Do you think it's, it's, it's real? Ma- it, it's. A, I, I don't think it is because it has a uh, mad customs oh, decal right. on it. But yeah, like, I see it now. oh my god, that's funny. Like, I wouldn't have been surprised. Like, because for as someone again, maybe you experienced this too growing up. You know, with a heavy church uh, element in your life. If you there, there were stores. One like the one that we would go to a lot was called Heaven and Earth. And for everything in the real world, for everything in the secular world, there was a direct copy that you could buy at Heaven and Earth just with a religious bent, just with a Christian bent on it. And so I wouldn't be surprised if Funko was like, hey, yeah, oh, sure, we'll license. Hang on. What oh, do you got? Uh, okay, page not found. But uh, from the verified Funko Pop News Twitter account, <laughs> find joy in Christ with this latest pop from the Bible series. Okay. Uh, and it says Bible series. Oh, number one, Jesus Christ. And it's not uh, Funko Pop. It's Joy Pop. Okay. Um, but, all right. But the, and it's from uh, September 12th, 2019. It, the link is dead, though. I see that. This is exactly what I'm talking about. That, like, you know, if, you, if there was a famous T-shirt brand, like No Fear at the time, in Heaven and Earth, it would say Fear Not and have, like, a Bible verse under it. Oh, and, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Or, or Fear Factor. Or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Fear Factor would have like a religious parody shirt in <laughs> in Heaven and Earth. Yeah, this does not surprise me that Bible series, yeah, that they would have marketed this to Heaven and Earth. To be like, yeah, you can be just the direct licensee or whatever and, and sell these. So David, they, have, they did ask the CEO of one of these types of stores called Family Christian Stores. And of course, he defended these products saying, it's not going to be the sort of thing that you can look at and say, wow, we made a fortune. It's all about helping people find, grow, and share their faith in Christ. The phenomenon behind the passion is one of those things that comes along every once in a while to just give you a great opportunity to reach out and say, here's a reminder or example of what Christ did for you. The motive at heart is simply to get the message of love of Christ out there. And then Stasi said, and if you can make a buck on it, that's America. God bless America. <laughs> what a fucking awesome burn on that guy Holy who was like, shit. look, no one's getting rich off of a $13 nail. It's like, well, but... You're making money, so you know he like tried to pass it off as something like holistic and and altruistic, and she's like, yeah, but you are getting rich off of it, so <laughs> uh, just hilarious. So there's there's a ton. I found like at least four more articles out there about the merchandising and the way it was received and stuff like that. But I feel like I've already gone on a little bit long enough, and that gives you an idea of 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 you know it was a conversation point, it was a talking point, which I don't remember at all. But obviously, by the time this episode aired, it was still you know, a phenomenon and still being talked about just kind of a little bit of background on that. So that is all we had, I think, as far as homework goes. Uh, So this is just a little bit of trivia from from IMDb. Larry describes the hypothetical Jane Christ as softig, and that means juicy or succulent in German. (laughs) Someone thought we had, I didn't even catch him saying that in the in the quote, but uh, there you go. Now let us consult the book. Please rise. In this episode, Larry David got the idea for the bra plot when he saw his wife's bra and decided to take a look. While I was looking at it, I thought, this is very funny. I didn't have any idea what my wife's bra size was until I wrote this episode. There you go. So it just goes oh to show God. you that <laughs> some guys are, are just clueless. And I, I, I'm, in, I'm in Larry David's camp. Like, it's never been something that I, that I have checked out. <laughs> 
so during the editing, Larry David couldn't decide if the bra conversation with the housekeeper was funny, so he asked a random selection of women from surrounding offices to screen the episode and tell them what they thought. Once you give them permission to be critics, they'll start thinking like critics and make their complaints. Well, what did they say? I would love to know what that what that conversation was like. Oh, well. Um, what were they thinking from the what they were thinking portion? Lydia Blanco, who plays Maria, said, My parents were in town to see a play and came to visit on set. My dad's a Catholic deacon, so it was really awkward. Larry pulled me aside and said, Are you comfortable? I was like, If they want to leave, they can leave. So there I was, brawless, with a crew of guys, and I was a little worried it was going to scar my parents, but they were too starstruck and excited that I was working on something to really care. Awesome. Supportive parents. And the Davidism we get to fill out this page is Larry to Cheryl's dad about Christianity. I'll worship a Jane, but you know, to worship a guy, it's a little gay, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> that is all from the book. You may be seated. All right. Do we got any news or anything? Yes. For once, I can say unequivocally <laughs> yes. And I did tweet this from at no hugging. So see plenty of reasons to follow us. But not only has the world of Seinfeld gotten us to purchase Lego as grown people, they've taken it a step further. And now there is a Fisher Price Little People Collector Seinfeld Special Edition set. With no, there isn't. Fisher no. Price figures of Shut George, up. Elaine, Jerry, and Kramer that come in a box with the background of Jerry's apartment. Uh, and no. it is $24.99. And it looks like George is holding a an eclair with a bite out of it kramer is holding a chicken drumstick elaine not very woke of you uh fisher price she just has her little backpack on it looks like and jerry has a <laughs> microphone this is incredible I oh know. my god i know i'm like i guess i'm gonna fucking spend 25 dollars on fisher price toys that my kids aren't gonna play with <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah, it's it's too awesome. I got to get this before it sells out. And this I guess insane. I didn't know that, you know, Fisher Price did this because they also have one for The Office and one for Golden Girls and one for National Lampoon's Vacation and one for um, Masters of the Universe and uh, A Christmas Story and Elf and <laughs> they, uh, Run they, DMC. They Oh my god! They took a Ted look Lasso. at they took a look at Funko Pops and they're like, "Oh, how do we cash in on this amount of money?" And they're like, "Wait a minute! We literally make little people the little people line." Yeah, I love, and they look so much better than Funko Pops. They really do. Holy shit! It's, yeah. I mean, they have really big heads. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I will take the the really big heads and the expressive mouth and eyebrows and facial features <laughs> over just big old black dots for eyes. And they have such innocent. I mean, the, the way the eyebrows they're, they're are, all they're all smiling like, too. They're all so happy. Yeah, yeah. They're look smiling. at them. They're and all having fun. They're all friends. Ironically, they're in the give me a hug stance yeah. with their arms like up in the air <laughs> like the y from ymca get over here give me a no <laughs> hugging not in fisher price land we're you huggers say that here. they all want to stay at the why 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 <laughs> so here's where i think they went wrong uh you know elaine doesn't have a prop in her hand like all the guys do she just has her little backpack on which i know was like her well, kind of like her a signature purse. yeah yeah well, right. like a fanny pack type of thing yeah yeah like i'm picture i think she like had one of those backpack purses in a lot of in a lot of episodes so i will accept it but on the back they have uh, you know, a, a great picture, like a frameable picture of the gang at Monks. And in this one, in this picture, picture George is holding his gigantic wallet. Jerry has a cup of coffee. Kramer has the coffee table book about coffee tables. And Elaine has an <laughs> armful of toilet paper. Why couldn't she be holding toilet paper? Yeah. Her figure. <laughs> I think that would have been a great call. I can't think of what else I would have put in her hand. Maybe a sombrero? I don't know. Could they have done that? That uh, might be gotta, kind of big. Got to put a sponge. A sponge. Oh, my gosh. Inappropriate for the kids. But the Elaine little person on the back this is, is this saying. This isn't for kids, Tim. I know. It's a collectible line. That's it's true. It's for adults. And it would be great if, you know, it wasn't like a, a regular dish sponge. Like, it looked like the contraceptive sponge, which I don't even know what that looks like. I'd be like, what the hell is Elaine holding? <laughs> like, oh, it's a contraceptive sponge. But on the back, Elaine is saying, I don't well, have a square to spare, which is cute in a yeah, really cute I, way. I, 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 guess I don't have like, a square to spare. Yeah, because in the, in the illustration, they're all holding something different. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I wouldn't want to have her just holding the toilet paper because then she wouldn't, like you said, she'd be the only person not holding two things. What do you mean? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, because so on the back, they'd have to put something different in her hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know what that would be. You can give her a big uh, salad. That's probably a big. A big That's salad. Big. I love that. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, a, a big salad might be too big. You're right. And, uh, you know, a cigar, that wouldn't work for the kids either. <laughs> then we're down to... Um... It's not for kids! <laughs> a Christmas card? Oh, that could be funny. <laughs> just just do the entire figure figure with one of her nipples out. <laughs> Uh, I'm looking. I just looked up the best Elaine episodes to see if, uh, and the stall is one of them. With I can't spare a square. Um... <laughs> I do like how on the uh, the Mattel Creations page where you can buy this, it says "Great gift for fans of the Emmy Award winning TV series, ages one to one hundred and one years." <laughs> what about George's toupee? That could be funny. Oh, what about what about uh, some soup? Or what about a, a handful of soup, like just those that yellow legal pad of soup recipes? That would be funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, that's all the ideas I have. So, but yeah, this thing is twenty five bucks, and I'm I'm probably gonna probably gonna blow some money on it. I think I have to have it. But that's all That's all the news I have. All right. If you have never listened to us before, we are not a research-heavy show, despite the last, my God, 35 minutes. It's been a big uh, one. Being, yeah, long, uh, long bullshit session. Being exclusively exclusively bullshit and and research we like to have our questions pop up naturally in the run of the episode and assign them to ourselves the week following as though we are giving ourselves homework i've never seen these episodes before tim's never seen these episodes before in the last 20 years that's what it is if we miss anything if we egregiously skip over something please send us an email or send us a tweet it's at no hugging on twitter or no hugging no learning show at gmail.com both those links are down in the description or on the show description page on apple Podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify if you use either one of those. If you like us a little bit more than that, you can join us over on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash nohugging, where for five bucks a month, you can get early access to every single episode that we release. And it's not just going to come to your feed early. It's going to be long. It's going to have so much bullshit in it. <laughs> and we're also going to get you at least, uh, we're going to try and get back on the uh, the deal of at least one movie review every single month from the, the Seinfeld cinematic universe, the Seinfeld extended cinematic universe. Uh, at the time of our recording this, yesterday we just dropped our review of Airheads starring Academy Award Best Picture or no, excuse me, Best Actor nominee, Brendan Fraser. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, all, all, star also, also starring, film. yeah, Michael Richards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for no reason, as we found out. But listen yeah, for more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally, totally cuttable role in the in the movie. <laughs> yeah, but check it out to find out more. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's it was it was a real fun one. I, I highly, highly suggest you checking it out. Again, that's patreon.com slash no hugging. All that being said, season five, episode four, Kamikaze Bingo. Original air date October 16th, 2005. And if you are looking at TV Guide that night, you are going to see Larry dishonors an art dealer at a Japanese restaurant and accuses a nursing home resident of a bingo fix. Dang, it's, I don't think it's, I think it's pretty nice. I think it's pretty good. All right, we'll have to see at the end if we can make it any better, but I don't know if we can. So we open at Hana Sushi, which was at 11831 Wilshire Boulevard in Brentwood. It has uh, remaining a Yelp page with 2.5 stars. Oh, so no. Not, <laughs> not great. Not great. But they did have, I'm guessing all the way up until their clo- closing, plastered on the front door that they were named Best Sushi in L.A. by Playboy. So where is the disconnect? Well, I was able to find a Yelp review that said the heyday of this place was definitely the 80s when it was the spot for sushi in L.A. So I'm guessing it was just one of the I'm guessing that's when Playboy found it and was like, oh, hell. Oh, yeah. Look at all the beautiful people hanging out here. And the sushi is great. The 80s are going to last forever, baby. Uh, And then it just stayed open until. uh, (laughs) And and then it turned 1990. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And then uh, LA Weekly mentioned that it closed September 3rd, 2010. Uh, and but supposedly all of the all of the reviews pretty much even the one star reviews were like 
Yeah, I came here for the happy hour. So evidently it had like one of the best happy hours in LA. Mm, I don't know okay. what the deal was, but evidently you could probably get cheap rolls and cheap drinks and stuff. So that's what kept it going, I think, for the 30 years uh, after the 80s. Well, I guess 20 years, because if they made it all the way through the 80s. Yeah. And uh, it is on Google Maps now. It is vacant. Uh, you might notice a Mexican restaurant next door, something or other cantina. That is also since closed. But in between whatever was there closing and, and Hana Sushi in the middle there. Uh, by the way, next door on the other side of, of Hana Sushi is a billiards place that looks still open. Q Billiards or something like that. Uh, so pool is just, you know, timeless, I guess. But it was a bar after it was Hana Sushi. And you can see a sign above Hana Sushi that, is like kind of an old style 50s like it looks like kind of a, a deck of like um, a hand of cards that says S U S H I and when the bar bought it they kept that sign and repurposed it so it said B A R in the middle and there were like two drinks like a martini and like a pint glass or something on either side of bar so it was a really uh, interesting reuse and repurposing of the the classic Hana sushi sign but now it is vacant if you're looking for some uh real estate a turnkey restaurant in brentwood that was once the best sushi I, in la it's probably all of our listeners they're like I'm looking for <laughs> looking for the perfect place in brentwood for for my my new restaurant concept and if it's a concept that can be described in five letters or less You've already got a sign. You already got a great <laughs> sign up there that's still there. Uh, so Larry walks in, and the cooks know him. They call him Chicken Teriyaki Boy, <laughs> which I thought they were saying Chicken Teriyaki Pork at first, and I was like, well, that that could be something, but no, it's a, it's Chicken Teriyaki Boy. And Larry is meeting Cheryl there, who is sitting with Yoshi, who uh, is an art dealer. We find out they're buying a sculpture from him, and <laughs> I love Larry saying like, "Yeah, we want a big penis." <laughs> <laughs> a big penis with some big balls. And I just love that Larry brings the caliber of the conversation down immediately. Because Cheryl's like, you know, we were ta- we were having a great conversation actually about art before you came in. <laughs> I just lo- like, because I identify with this in a way. Like, I-, I can fake my way through a nice intellectual conversation. But I will always immediately try to shoehorn a movie reference into it. Or start talking about some sort of pop culture thing rather than anything of actual substance. Uh, and so, and, and often, you know, I'll do this to, I won't do it necessarily in, certainly nothing dirty, which is not my really sense of humor anyway, but, you know, Sarah will be trying to have a serious conversation and then I'll just make like a horrible pun and she'll like roll her eyes and, and try to keep the conversation back on track or I'll, you know, reference, I'll, I'll drop a movie quote that I think she'll get and she'll go, Okay, are you done? Like, <laughs> so I just love that that Larry sits down immediately and is like, "Yeah, big penis. That's what I want." <laughs> um, and then Larry notices that in the table, someone has carved Kofi was here, C O F E Y, uh, and he just, you know, was like, "What kind of idiot is Kofi that would come in here and do this?" You know, well, that's that's just you know despicable. Uh, and we find out that Larry's dad and Yoshi's dad are becoming friends in the nursing home where they live. Yoshi's dad was in the war as a pilot, and we find out he was a kamikaze pilot. And Larry immediately is like, well, shouldn't he be dead? And Yoshi says that (laughs) some of the kamikaze pilots did survive. And Larry just won't give it up, even though it's pretty obvious Yoshi... He keeps keeps pressing the issue. Yeah, making... Making Yoshi real uncomfortable. Yeah, he's like, well, what happened at the, at the... He's like, well, he grazed the ship. And then... And just Larry just digs in and will not drop it. Like, <laughs> you think he, like... You know, at the last second was like, oh, this Kamikaze doesn't seem like a good idea. I'm going back to base. And then uh, just grazed the ship. He, uh, he, he won't drop it. And then he proceeds to order what we know he does order every time. And that's the chicken teriyaki. As he and the waiter say chicken about six times between them. And... Even looks at Yoshi and goes, chicken? Yoshi? How about some chicken? (laughs) Uh, And so we cut to a poker game uh, at evidently Kevin Nealon's house. Yeah. This is the first time he's been in the show, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. I I don't remember him from before. And so, yeah, the very famous SNL alum and frequent Happy Madison collaborator, Kevin Nealon, somehow left out of, I guess it it was just an Adam Sandler flick. It wasn't necessarily Happy Madison, but I wouldn't have been surprised to see him pop up in Airheads. He definitely could have been a cop. He could have been that cop. absolutely. He could have been that cop. Well, maybe not, because that cop was kind of a tough guy, the one that shows up and wants to, like, raid the place immediately. Um, Yeah. But he, he could have been somewhere. I, I I think he definitely could have been the uh the first music 
label executive that they send in. Oh yeah, the the one that was like the one that Harold Ramis played. Yeah, the, the one that was definitely a cop. Yeah, and and I I hate to take another Ghostbuster out of it, but I think he could have done Ernie Hudson's job as well and, and played just the main sergeant through the whole thing. <laughs> he could have been the PD. I think that would have been. I mean, Michael McKeon did a great job, but I think he could have uh, he could have done that. But evidently, we find it. We get a little um a little breadcrumb here, a little seed. Uh, planted that maybe will come up later that Richard Lewis is having kidney problems. Evidently, we find out that Yoshi is supposed to be there, and he's also Kevin Nealon's brother-in-law. He's the brother of Kevin Nealon's significant other, and he's supposed to be there, but he's not there. And then Kevin Nealon gets a call that Yoshi attempted suicide, and uh, you know he so he runs out with his wife, and the guys are just kind of left there, like, "Wow, I wonder what happened." Like, and and Larry is kind of playing dumb about the whole thing and one of the guys i love even goes what could could he have been like humiliated or shamed recently <laughs> i love that they just drive that point home and larry's like I, I, I saw him yesterday he seemed seemed fine and then this was a funny scene where all the guys rationalize staying to finish the poker game at kevin nealon's house like well we're you know we're we, we don't we can't lock up you know yeah, we, well, we, we don't know we don't... the alarm code yeah, and, and there's a pizza on the way. It'd, it'd be rude to it'd be rude to let a pizza out there. <laughs> yeah, and they are just having a grand old time. You know, cut to hours later when the the pizza has been you know annihilated and they're smoking cigars. Yeah, and still... I want to I want to know because we only see one box. Did they only order one pizza? <laughs> and it looked like a small. Like <laughs> yeah, a small. like a, a like a medium at best. I'm, <laughs> did you? For for six guys, did you guys order one 14-inch eight-slice pizza? Yeah. Yeah, that's one slice for each of us. And then who wants two? You know, because there is yeah. one laying in the box, too. <laughs> I feel like I might have seen a box on the table and a box in the kitchen. Like, we kind of get a shot from behind Jeff's Still, area I, into the I kitchen. Two, two pizzas two for, <laughs> for six guys is, you know, that's not that, that's like just enough maybe. Maybe they did. I always, when I'm ordering pizza, will get the biggest I can because nothing's better than leftover pizza. Oh now that's God, weird yeah. for a party. Especially especially if you can get find a place that has a party tray pizza. Like this is this is a, an exclusively western Pennsylvania reference, but my Fox's pizza pizza. Uh. Oh <laughs> my God. Ah Fav- they favorite do pizza like, place. Favorite pizza place. They kind of do like Sicilian style, right? Where it's like that long pan that deep pan style, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they call it the Big Daddy. Ooh, yeah. Nothing's nothing's better than than leftover pizza. Um, and so maybe that's what Kevin Nealon was thinking. He was like, you know what? Get get um get two. And, <laughs> but yeah. Um, Anytime we're back at my dad's house and uh, we order pizza, he just always calls and says, "Yeah, can I get two of those uh, big ass pizzas?" And they know exactly <laughs> what he means. And they bring him ass pizza. <laughs> they cut, uh, cut a hole in the pizza and instead of their dick they just stick their ass up through it yeah assless pizza which is what oh, people no. call assless chaps but chaps are already assless so i don't know um uh later yeah, i never thought of that yeah they are <laughs> what? uh later kevin Elon comes home and he can't believe that the guys are still there and they give him all the great reasons they, they came up with for that they would be well first of all for support you know, they wanted to be there for him when he came back, and they might as well play cards while they're waiting. Uh, but he kicks them all out. He's really pissed about it. Um, but Larry brings up, this was funny. He was like, "It'd be ru- we had a pizza coming. It'd be rude to leave with a pizza on the way. He was like, yeah, it'd be really rude to pick it up on your way home. Uh, and so that's a good point <laughs> that they could have just, like, you know, stopped the pizza on the, you know, on the way. It might not have been on the way yet. But at home, back at home, Cher- uh, Larry shows up, and Cheryl is reading a suicide email that Yoshi sent. <laughs> and she won't share the details of it with Larry because he wasn't CC'd on it. And he's like, he, he did he see he copied some other people? Some other people got like, yeah, there's some other people CC'd. It's like a dark joke, but it is it's like a funny dark yeah, joke. It it's a great like uh glimpse into oh my god, we're we're seeing technology evolve in real time with the show. Yeah. Like I, I can't wait until we get to like well, when's um <laughs> <laughs> when, when do they take the six-year break? Is it between season seven and eight, or that sounds right? It might be eight and nine. Between eight remember. and nine, okay. Yeah, I can't remember when it is. I, I like I can't I can't wait until that time where we go like from. Uh, it, it's probably going to be like, oh yeah, 
the 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 in people have iPhones and yeah, everyone else. Yeah. Like, oh, well, BlackBerry, BlackBerry. I I have a Droid until we skip to like the season in 2016. No, everyone has an iPhone. Yeah, or yeah, or just everyone's got a smartphone anyway. And yeah, the sort of every, brand everyone's, wars got, have... everyone's got a smartphone. There's no one like still hanging on to their flip phone. Yeah, we are gonna get some awesome old tech, but it is you know. It is interesting to see Larry exploring this venue of, you know, he had to do it in a dark way, but like suicide note to suicide email. You know, I mean, like that's just a term that that I, I, I still haven't heard, but it's it's sort of new comedy ground that they're that they're breaking here in the nursing home. Larry is there to play bingo with his dad and he calls bingo. He's sitting at, so in, so it goes Larry, his dad. And then this like really fucking annoying old bag. Oh my gosh, Ted. <laughs> oh, this Ruthie? lady. Yeah, Ruthie. Oh. If there's a, a punchable old lady, <laughs> the actor who played Ruthie <laughs> fucking nailed it. Oh, okay, I I want to point this out in this scene before I forget about it. Yeah. Uh, Nat just constantly doing like background dialogue the whole time between Larry and Ruthie. Just like because because they're both talking like full volume, and then Nat's just sitting there. Oh, he's he, he's got bingo. Oh, 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 he's got bingo. Oh, we're playing. Oh no, Ruthie, he, 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 he didn't mean that. Oh, oh, 69. Oh, bingo. I'm like Jesus Christ. Yeah, that is. I, I don't. He doesn't say one substantial thing all season or all scene. <laughs> to be able and to be able to do that while actual dialogue is going on is just a, <laughs> such great comedic timing. That obviously the great Shelley Berman you know, uh, honed over 90 years in the showbiz industry. Um, it just goes to show you what an awesome talent that guy must have been back in the day, just to, just to be doing that while everything else is going on. Uh, it's like an extra layer of laughs. Uh, yeah, I thought it was excellent. But this old bag who, like, won't... Like, Larry digs into her and she digs in back because Larry calls bingo and she's like, you know, she let me see, let me see. Uh, and the the checker comes over, and she's like, "No, it's I didn't call I twenty seven And the old bag gloats at Larry. Hmm, I knew it. I knew you didn't have bingo. Ha 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 ha. Oh my gosh! Like this lady <laughs> just. And I got to mention here that uh, this actress I recognize. She was played by Angela pa- Angela Patton, and the, what she is most well known for is the B and B owner in Groundhog Day. Oh God! Okay. Where Bill Murray stays, yeah. Who runs into him every morning? Then this old Ruthie gets bingo, and Lenore comes over to check it out. And what do you know? She did win the one dollar from the pot, uh, which is <laughs> awesome. And then gloats in front of Larry again, just infuriating Larry and me. Uh, she played this role really great because I was pissed at her <laughs> for the way she was acting. Later, Larry runs into Kevin Nealon and his father-in-law at the nursing home and Kevin Nealon pulls him aside and chews him out for faking concern about Yoshi and sticking around to play poker while they were at the hospital tending to him. <laughs> this I thought was hilarious from Larry. Well, we, we thought about him between hands. <laughs> <laughs> and what a hilarious, like that's like the ultimate like thoughts and prayer. Like whenever anyone, whenever anyone says thoughts and prayers, I'm going to imagine Larry going, well, we thought about him between hands. Yeah, because like, it's just <laughs> as empty a gesture as you know. Like, yeah, well, I had to concentrate while I had my cards, but between hands, we were like, ah, I hope Yoshi's okay. It's like zero effort, <laughs> zero actual effort. Uh, but Kevin Nealon says Larry is responsible for Yoshi's condition, and then Larry brings up that you know what? Well, you're responsible for us not settling up poker. You 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 know splashed all the chips around. I know you were at least down three hundred bucks. You owe me three hundred bucks. And Kevin says that he will settle up if Larry calls and apologizes to Yoshi, which Larry agrees to do right now. And so he goes into his dad's room and calls Yoshi. But while he's apologizing, his mouth, he's doing like open mouth chewing of these pistachios that he's eating. (laughs) And Yoshi has to tell him that you don't snack and apologize. We don't snack and apologize in my family. This was a great line from Larry David where he's like, oh, what is like like a Japanese thing? And Yoshi goes, no, it's a human thing. <laughs> you could respond to any of Larry David's societal faux pas with like, no, this this is a human thing. It's not a me yeah, thing. It's just a, a-, a thing that people do, Larry. Yeah. We live in a society that does not open mouth <laughs> chew and open pistachios at the same time while they're apologizing for driving me to suicide. 
<laughs> it was like a Japanese thing. No, it's a human thing. So, so he does not accept Larry's open mouth chewing apology while he's snacking and apologizing. Uh, Larry, before he leaves the nursing home, does run into a doctor who uh, prescribes some blood thinner for Larry's dad. And also Larry snitches on Ruth and Lenore fixing the bingo game. He's like, you know what? I had bingo. I can hear better than anybody in that room. I know what she was calling. And by the way, as somebody who has called some bingo, here's something that they are missing that makes me think, yeah, Ruth and Lenore have fixed this game, is that any bingo hall or whatever like keeps track, and Lenore is keeping track of what she calls, but she won't show anybody. Most bingo halls, and I'd imagine in nursing homes where it's a big activity, they're going to pay for a good one, they also have a big board Oh yeah, that oh, will yeah. flash the numbers as far as what's been called and what hasn't. Uh, and so you're able to see and confirm and everybody can make sure everything's on the up and up, but that does not exist here. Uh, Lenore has the record and she does not show anybody uh, what she is called. She is the, so maybe Larry does have a point here that something's going on. Cause he says, he was like, yeah, then Ruth won a dollar. He's like, and tell me Lenore didn't walk away with 50 cents from that dollar. Uh, <laughs> and so he wants the doctor to look into it, maybe even go undercover and look into it. <laughs> Over at Cal Oaks Pharmacy, which is still at 55 East California Boulevard in Pasadena, where it has been in the area since 1962. Uh, And Larry walks in uh, with his prescription and the pharmacist recommends an alternate blood thinning drug that he finds his patients have a lot more. uh, They like it a lot better than the one that Larry's uh, dad's doctor has prescribed. And so Larry has to weigh doctor or pharmacist. (sighs) Whose professional opinion does he value more, doctor, pharmacist? This um, th- this scene is where the episode just jumped a shark for me. I'm like, oh my god, okay. Like I, I was enjoying like the old people bits for for a little while, yeah. And then we- when Larry gets to like his sixth or seventh doctor or pharmacist, I'm like, whoo boy, someone wrote a 15 minute episode that needed lengthened out. It does feel a little padding. I do like when the pharmacist jumps in and he goes pharmacist you know like he's right there <laughs> and he sort of completes larry's thought but yeah it was a little and we luckily to help kind of pad out the padding a little bit more we get a little a musical sting kind of with larry's you know to sort of accentuate larry's stress over choosing between the doctor or the pharmacist and eventually he yeah. does go well, with the pharmacist well I, I, yeah well, weirdly enough because i mean here's the thing and this is how kind of how i wrote it in my notes we know larry hates going out and doing things right yeah so instead of siding with the doctor and just being done with it, he sides with the pharmacist so that he has to go back to the doctor only to go back to the pharmacist. Yeah, that's true. This is so anti-Larry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird. But then again, you know, I mean, he he cares about his dad an awful lot, maybe more than anybody, uh, it seems like. So maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe if it was for him, he'd go, nah, I'm not going to go through all that, but you know, to make sure his dad, because look what he did for his dad as far as just finding marijuana to like look, all, all that he went through to to do that. Maybe that factored into the conversation. It is true. Like, oh, all right. I want to do right by my dad. If it was me, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even get the prescription filled, <laughs> but it's for my dad. So back at the nursing home, Larry does go back and he runs into the doctor. And the first thing he inquires about is not his father's pills though. It's about the bingo game. Did you sit in on that bingo game? Is any, <laughs> anything going on? And he has it oh because he, he really has it in for ruth and me too i'm i think larry is right oh, yeah in this situation. yeah absolutely <laughs> um i this was there's a couple of great lines in this episode um one is i love larry going shouldn't he be dead just so nonchalantly about yoshi's dad um <laughs> and uh oh uh, is that a is that a Japanese thing? No, it's a human thing. We thought about Yoshi between hands. We thought about him between hands and this right here where he's like, you know, that Ruthie, I don't know. She's, don't you have some sort of, uh, you know, screening process to get in here? And the doctor goes, yeah, we got a screening process. We make sure they're old, sick, and need care. <laughs> that was such a hilarious retort to Larry. Yeah, yeah, we got a screening process. All right. Um, and he's like, well, you know, I mean, I don't know, Ruthie. She's on lots of medication. Uh, so maybe that's why she was acting the way she was. And Larry says, "What? Well, come on, that's like the Twinkie defense, which is a which is kind of a weird reference. Did you get that? Ooh, I I mean, I I understand that it's probably something incredibly dated in terms of uh, uh, some some court case. 
Yes, indeed. 1978, November of 1978, American politician and activist uh, who made leaps and bounds in the LGBT community, Harvey Milk, as a member of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, the first gay man to be elected to public office in California, was assassinated by his co-supervisor. I forget the dude's name, but his defense in court was that I think maybe this guy had been like removed from the board of supervisors or something, and then he came back and like he shot Harvey Milk in the office. And his defense was that he became so despondent and he was eating nothing but junk food that it like rotted his brain into thinking that it would be okay. And that came to be known as the Twinkie defense. Hmm, um, and all so right. that's yeah, that's what uh, that's what Larry is saying here in this case. That, uh, but I also think it's a, a, a wrong take too, because certainly the medications people are on affect their. You know, it's not like an unprescribed Twinkie. You know? <laughs> it's like prescribed medication that can affect moods and stuff like that. But he's got it in for Ruthie, and so do I. So, uh, and he, then he brings up the pharmacist suggestion and like doctor versus pharmacist, and and even the. So this is where we have another back and forth that might have. Uh, graded on you a little bit more because he's like, well, he's a pharmacist. And the guy goes, but I'm a doctor. He's like, eh, he's a pharmacist. <sighs> doctor. <laughs> Were you fed up to hear this? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, especially <laughs> Less than five like, minutes later. Yeah. Especially so quick. <laughs> like it yeah. was the next scene. It didn't grate on me as much, but I agree as a gag. It, it's not funny either, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um but the doctor relents he was like all right fine you want you want to go with the pharmacist here you go here's the other and i think it's a shame that like larry couldn't get both but i understand too because then you're filling two prescriptions for the same thing and and no mm-hmm. doctor or pharmacist is going to go wait a minute these do the same thing you cannot get them at the same time you know we don't we, we can't prescribe those so i think it's a shame that he couldn't couldn't get a prescription for both but the uh, the doctor relents and writes him the new script larry walks in to the nursing home <laughs> <laughs> I, I pulled up the script so because I, I wanted to see if it was actually in the script of what was uh, being yelled on the uh, the tape. But yeah. uh, I think this is this is my favorite like out of left field like bit from the entire episode. <laughs> and it is very out of left field and it doesn't have anything to do with the episode. What I loved more about it, though, is that no one can hear it. Yeah. Larry walks in and there is super explicit loud porn blasting through the <laughs> halls uh, and he looks around and all of the residents are not reacting like Larry yeah. is yeah. shocked and appalled but all the residents are just like puttering around like they normally do <laughs> like Larry Larry walks in and you just hear a, a woman yell oh yes fuck me I want your cock oh fuck me it feels so good oh I want your big cock <laughs> It is more explicit than <laughs> it's, it's, anything I've ever seen on HBO. It's it's pretty it's pretty explicit, and like they're show they show it too. Yeah, yeah, and they sh- <laughs> when, what they show it, like if you watched the HBO shows about porn, you wouldn't see porn this explicit. And I can tell you, like from experience, like watching real sex back in the day, um, and and like the, the shows, the adult entertainment shows on hbo were not this explicit yeah like, yeah it's all it, it was all softcore wasn't it yeah yeah very i mean you know maybe you'd see genitals but never in the context of being near other genitals you know yeah. like never like like may like maybe you'll see breasts you'll, you'll most likely see breasts but you're never gonna see penetration right yeah you, you know and you'd see like you know, a, a penis or a vagina or whatever, but never in the same room. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> and so to see this scene, which involves like what looked like, as far as I could tell, well, they were saying cock. So there must've been a guy, but I only saw two women and like a Hitachi wand sort of thing. I don't know if you clocked the same, <laughs> if you looked at it with the same <laughs> density that I was trying to see what the hell was going on. Cause it is like a very dark black leather clad scene, but I can kind of make out, I think maybe two pairs of breasts. And again, like I said, that that toy sort of thing that is being used. But yeah, he, he follows it all the way to his dad's room. Did you notice the mezuzah in the doorway? No, I didn't. Yeah, there it is, the mezuzah. And there's like, yeah, hardcore porn on TV. So, and his dad is like pissed that he turns it off. Well, yeah, like, because yeah, we, we, we come in and uh, I'm looking at the script here. I'm trying to determine the end of the the porn and what Nat is saying. But I think Nat has the line, Woo, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, like a he, you know, Larry comes in, he's like, shh, keep it down, keep it down, and Larry's like, what are you doing? <laughs> this is blasting through the hole, and he and he turns it off, and and Nat's pissed. He's like, oh, great, can't watch his porn. But that's when Ruth comes in. Yeah, and, and yeah, I I wouldn't know. Like, did Nat have a plan to watch this porn with Ruthie? It seemed like it. <laughs> it yeah, did seem like okay. it because she comes over immediately after Larry gets there. Yeah, yeah, and and Nat was in. just Nat was watching it. It would have been on if she walked in for sure. I mean, who knows if he would have grabbed for the remote or what? But it didn't seem like he was ready to grab for the remote. But we do know, you know, I mean, especially since the advent of Viagra, that old people are freaky. You know, you just you don't grow out of that. Uh, you know, like the just look at the STD rates of of nursing homes, and it's disturbing. Oh God, yeah, oh. yeah, like gonorrhea, like runs rampant in those places. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's true. So maybe that's what was going on. So Ruth comes by, and Larry diverts to talking about Yoshi, and he starts yelling, you know, that that something about Yoshi was going to die, and it starts, and, and no one can hear him because that's like lie. What he's gonna, and Ruthie, uh, you know, is, is clueless too. And Larry's like, no, die die he was gonna die die and the doctor walks by <laughs> seeing larry yell die at ruthie and she's cowering on the couch too <laughs> yeah, yeah, she is. and uh and and so he he doesn't like what he sees back over at cal oaks pharmacy larry notices the pharmacist's name is kofi and he asks him hey do you ever go to that uh sushi place down the street by the way you know i had to look it up and cal oaks pharmacy from the previous location of hannah sushi is 30 minutes directly across town <laughs> like you literally have to go through the middle of la to get from cal oaks pharmacy to hannah sushi and it takes it takes 30 minutes on a saturday night like, oh my in, in God. green traffic i don't know what it would be like at five o'clock but like like you know the the, the where google puts the dot that yeah. says la you have to go through that to get from Jesus one to the other Christ. yeah which yeah, i you ever go to funny. that sushi place down the street, down the street. you know on the yeah. complete other side of town <laughs> yeah here we are in pasadena do you ever go to that sushi place in brentwood which is <laughs> yeah completely across town oh from uh, santa monica to pasadena yeah because of the table he's like whoa 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 your name's kofi and so because of what he said about the kind of person that would carve their name into a table like that he takes the prescription bag and says you know what i'm gonna go with the doctor so this is where it's a real shame that he had already trashed the other prescription which we don't see on screen it's a shame he didn't just like have it in the car or in his pocket or whatever but he did ditch it at some point along the way so back over 30 minutes away at hannah sushi <laughs> larry's meeting cheryl there for lunch and here's some you know technological groundbreaking here cheryl is completely distracted by this new thing she has called a blackberry <laughs> and larry is lamenting as we're going to do for the next 20 years after this episode oh people they people always have their face in their phone now what is it with the blackberry oh my oh, god larry. oh if you only knew what was in store but it's interesting to hear like early bitching about people having their faces in their phones and not paying attention to the conversation at hand uh it's just kind of crazy a very early hot tech take I tell you what, I can't wait to see an episode of Curb where Larry goes viral on TikTok. <laughs> That'll be great. The chefs do their chicken dance at Larry when they see him. And yeah, calling him, calling him teriyaki chicken boy. Yeah, uh, but it's right as Yoshi walks in, <laughs> triggering him and his trauma from just being called a chicken in the very same restaurant earlier. And it's at that point that Kofi walks in and all the chefs go, hey, Kofi is here. Kofi is here. Which I like that they kind of <laughs> referenced what he carved into the table. Kofi was here, and now Kofi is here is what they're yelling. So they like that he kind of carved his name into the table, and they have no problem with it. But Larry realizes that he's made a huge mistake in the identity of the true Kofi, and it's this guy who walked in. Not, And it's, you know, if I had a nickel every time I met someone named Kofi, Larry would have two <laughs> nickels, which is not a lot, but it's weird that it's happened twice. I do have to say because I've never even heard the name before, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if I if I saw this name in the wild, I would I would think it would be like coffee. Yeah, exactly. Or, or, someone or, does. It'd be two Fs, you know. And, and someone does say coffee. I forget who pronounces it that way. 
but we do hear that pronunciation at some point. So outside, you know, like Yoshi has run off, and outside, uh, Kevin Nealon's still there, and Larry explains to him that, you know, Kevin Nealon explains that he won't pay up because he was eating during the apology, so it doesn't count, and then Kevin offers to go double or nothing on bingo at the nursing home tomorrow, which Larry, I love that, you know, I love bingo skills coming up in this, like, it's a completely a game of luck, but Larry's like, yeah. I'm good at bingo, I got a win, win streak in bingo, <laughs> <laughs> and they both talk about how good they are at bingo, but then Larry goes back inside and Cheryl has gotten oh no a suicide blackberry from <laughs> Yoshi so again more more ground being broken as far as as new tech goes uh, at the nursing home Larry shows up for bingo and Larry does call a bingo but that's when another resident when all the residents notice like he gets a stink eye from someone who sees him at first but what really gets people to notice him is calling bingo and that's when another resident says he's the one who tried to kill Ruthie and the room starts advancing on him, but he's locked in to the doors, and he sees carved on the door, Kofi was here, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, I thought that, that was, was weird. Odd. Then we see Tanaka, who uh, is Kevin Nealon's father-in-law, does a kamikaze rascal, <laughs> yeah, kamikaze re- motorized re- wheelchair run. Revs his chair all the way up, like, and uh, and just floors it at Larry, pinned against the doors. Yeah, as Frolic while, while starts yelling- to play. Yeah, and while yelling bonsai. Bonsai, yes. And then Frolic starts up, and that is the end of the episode. Uh, I do oh, want to mention, I had to look up these actors, because I was like, I wonder if they've done anything. Uh, Greg Watanabe played Yoshi, and he is he's kind of a, a sketch performer and, and, and stuff like that, but he is most known for, well, I don't know about most known for, but Ted, I wanted to mention that he is in 1997's Under Wraps, which, if I'm not, not mistaken, was the first DCOM. Oh my god! I have god. my history correct. <laughs> I don't know if that you, one was in your catalog. You might be right. No, that was uh, that was too early for me. I do know that it's the first one that they've remade. Like, so DComs came all the way back around to like remaking themselves. Uh, so there is a new <laughs> version of Under Wraps, but Greg was in the original, and Ken Takamoto played Tanaka, uh, Yoshi's dad. And he was, I think he plays, he was in Falcon and Winter Soldier. And I think he plays the guy at the uh, Asian restaurant that the Winter Soldier frequents in the first couple episodes of that show. Uh, So that's cool. But Ken Takamoto is also in an episode of Seinfeld. He is in the opposite as Chairman, who is the head of the Japanese conglomerate that is going to uh, offer a lucrative buyout to Pendant Publishing that Elaine ruins because she sneezes in her hand and will not shake the hand of the chairman, thus ruining the deal in season five, episode 22. Yeah, yeah. So I I just wanted to mention those guys. Because I was like, you know, you never know. You might These guys might have been in in some movies that that I'd seen back in the day. They just seemed like those kind of veteran actors. Yeah. Um, And and they do have, you know, they do have tons of roles, but just kind of one-off bits. Uh, And so that is it. That's it. All right. Uh, What do we got for homework this week? I didn't write anything down. Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of yeah. kind of did a lot of stuff during during the show. Yeah. Oopsie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you like for cover art this week, Tim? Man, tough one. I feel like you know uh, the end is always a good go to with uh, with if there's a good shot of the kamikaze run at Larry. What are you thinking? Mm. Everybody playing poker. I mean, uh, uh... Larry with his bingo cards. Oh yeah, something at bingo is probably yeah. Like if there's a good three shot of Ruth and Nat and Larry, that would be pretty good. Yeah, it's got to be something in the bingo room. You're right. Yeah, I, I think there's a I think there's a good three shot of all of them. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, or at least from remember, like actually, you know, with Larry close to the camera and Ruth kind of like gloating at him and Nat in the oh, middle. There's yeah, got to be, be something good. like that. That'd be yeah. good. Yeah. All right, let's see what we, all right. Let's see what we can do about this week's description. So we had Larry dishonors an art dealer at a Japanese restaurant and accuses a nursing home resident of a bingo fix. I, I think it's perfect. Yeah. I, I mean, I, that's what happened. I can't think of anything better to, to put yeah. in there. <laughs> no, I can't even think of a storyline that I need in there. Cheryl gets a Blackberry? <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what, what else happens? We find out Richard Lewis is having kidney troubles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just a seed that's been planted. So, I mean, it's Spe- really Special guest Kevin Nealon. No, I, yeah, I, think, I, yeah. I think this is fine. It's, it's perfect, yeah. And, I mean, maybe that speaks to the episode quality more than the synopsis quality. But, I mean, normally there's something else I want to shove in there. Like, wait, we got... 
this storyline really had more to do. But no, those are the two main things, and they they cover it perfectly. All right, Tim, did you like this episode? Yeah, I was fine with it. I mean, it was it was another fine average episode of Curb. I got a lot of good laughs out of it. I mentioned all of the the great lines that are in it for for a non for an improv show. I mean that that's pretty awesome that there were you know four or five lines that I just dropped dead at. So. Um, yeah, I liked it. I can't, I can't give it a star, but it was definitely a, a, a solid episode. What about you? See, I think I liked it a little bit less than yeah. you did. I, I, I was so, uh, bored with it towards the end. Really the only thing if, I mean, if I, I don't want to go as far as saying the only thing that kept me watching it was doing it for the podcast. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, I don't know. I I was getting like chuckles here and there. The only big laugh I had was uh, the porn playing really loudly throughout the nursing home. That's it. That's the only thing I had a big laugh at. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty funny because it was like just so damn explicit. I was like, yeah, I was, was blushing. Was, I was like, good lord. It was very explicit, and it's just had nothing to do with anything yet in the episode. So yeah. just like I said earlier. Totally out of left field. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I I, I mean I, I it's probably minuscule how much better I liked it than you because I'm I'm pretty much on the same page that it was like a below average to average episode. Like if someone was like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna I've never watched Curb. I think uh, the episode I'm gonna start with is Kamikaze Bingo. I'd go whoa 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 whoa. Eh, Hold no up. no st- start you, with start with a good one. Yeah, I mean you don't have to start <laughs> with the first episode, but if you're just gonna watch a random episode, don't make it this one. Like I wouldn't show the, uh, anyone this as like a textbook <laughs> episode, um, which is you know. I might say, you know, just pick any of the ones of the previous three that we've seen. Pick any of those over this yeah. one. Like, this would be the fourth that I'd recommend from this season. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so far, it is uh, it is fourth out of four episodes of season five. <laughs> yeah, it is. All right. Next week, we have got season five, episode five, Lewis Needs a Kidney. Original oh, there air we go. Date. Yeah. Original air date, October 30th, 2005. And if you're looking in TV Guide that night, you are going to see Larry and Jeff debate how far they're willing to go to help out a friend in need. Wow. I think I think we know what, it sounds like we know what who the friend is and what they need, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of like yeah, the synopsis. Yeah, I think so. Too. I think you're right. <laughs> I kind of wonder if there's going to be a second storyline that I'm going to try to cram in there, but I guess we'll have to guess we'll have to wait and see all right is that it yeah i think that is it all right for no hugging no learning i'm tim murphy i'm ted haldwell be good 